This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the winter of 2022 and 2023, that's the months of December, January, and February, we're studying the first 11 chapters of John, and this week we're looking at session 10. Mike Livingston is joining us. Mike, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Dwayne. And I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, so we thank you out there for joining us today. We're looking at John chapter 8, verses 3 through 18 here in session 10. Uh, the title is, I am the light. Uh, we've outlined these verses as trapped, freed, and shining. Verses three through six of chapter eight is the section that we've entitled Trapped. In these verses, we see Jesus beginning to teach and the scribes and Pharisees bringing a woman caught in adultery as a trap for Jesus to pronounce judgment. Jesus responded by stooping down and writing on the ground. The takeaway for us is that believers must beware of the traps of judging others. The second section in the outline, verses 7 through 11, we've entitled Free. In these verses, the scribes and the Pharisees continue to question Jesus. He challenged the one without sin to be the first to stone the woman. He stooped back down and continued writing on the ground as each accuser left one by one, the oldest first. Once alone, Jesus asked the woman if there was anyone left to condemn her. She told Jesus that none were left, to which he replied he would not condemn her either and directed her to sin no more going forward. We should understand here that believers should seek to be agents of God's forgiveness. The last section, verses 12 through 18, which we've entitled Shining, Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world, providing light to all who follow him. The Pharisees questioned his testimony. Jesus identified the Father as one of the witnesses who validated his teachings. He pointed to the Pharisees judging by their own standards, while Jesus judging by truth in conjunction with the Father. Our takeaway is that believers can testify with confidence that Jesus offers forgiveness. So, Mike, in this passage, we find the second of the I am light uh, statements, or the I am statements of Jesus, and this one is I am the light in John 8, 12, which is a critical piece of this. But there's a lot of unanswered questions in this passage. Where was the man? Who was this woman? What did Jesus write? What are some tips we could, we could share with our teachers out there about navigating these unknowns in this passage? Mm -hmm. Those are all questions likely to come up as you teach this lesson. And uh, the good questions, like, let's take who was the woman? You know, let's take that one first. From the standpoint of the New Testament, adultery is defined in terms of the marital status of the woman involved in, in any such act. So if, if a man has sexual relations with an unmarried woman, it's considered fornication, not adultery. But uh, if a man, whether he's, whether the man is unmarried or ma married, doesn't matter whether a man but when a man uh, has relations with someone else's wife, that's considered adultery on, on, on both on the part of the man and the woman. This is called adultery. She's caught in adultery. And that indicates that she was a married woman. 
that she was a married woman involved in a sexual act with a with a man who was not her husband. That's that's what we can uh, assume about her or know about her. That's all we know about her. Uh, as far as a man is concerned, where was he in all this? Very good question. Because according to the law, both parties would have been guilty. Both parties would have been subject to the same punishment, the man and the woman. In Leviticus 20.10, it says, if a man commits adultery with a married woman, if he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and adulteress must be put to death. And Deuteronomy 22.22, if a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both the man who had sex with the woman and the woman must die. So both would be guilty. Both would have the same punishment uh, carried out on them. So the fact that they, that she's this woman was caught in adultery implies, suggests that there were witnesses involved. She was caught. They were caught. And it means that there were at least two witnesses to this. In Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, so there were eyewitnesses, at least two eyewitnesses, and, and that suggests, it points to the probability that this was a trap that was set and that she was just a she was just a, a an object a, a pawn a, a tool that 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 Pharisees were using in all of this and she only only she was taken uh, and brought before Jesus suggests to us that the man may have been part of the trap that he may have been in on this and so he was allowed to go he was allowed to escape that's it's all conjecture we don't we don't know but there's a good possibility of that uh the, the third un, 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 unanswered question what was jesus writing when he stooped down to write in the dirt a lot of uh number of suggestions uh i've seen one of the most intriguing is that, that he may have been making some kind of reference to jeremiah 17 13 jeremiah 17 13 yeah and i believe that we referenced that in the psg in the daily discipleship guide i believe Jeremiah 17, 13 says that the names of those who turn away from God will be written in the dirt. Or to, to quote it, to, to quote the verse, it says, Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. And all who turn away from me will be written in the dirt. For they've abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. <laughs> so some, and, and, and there's a connection of living water that... Um, and we'll talk about in a minute, we've already seen. Uh, and some Bible teachers suggest that having one's name written in the dirt is the opposite of having it written in the book of life, which is a, a common biblical figure in both Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, but anyway, if, if Jeremiah 17, 13 is, is what Jesus was in some way uh, referencing or writing, then it at least would have pointed to the religious leader's shame. While they were pointing to the woman's shame, that verse would have pointed to their shame and their distance from God. That's interesting. You know, we've got all kinds of different ideas that, that we could present to our class. I think the focus here needs to be for us to center on what we have in Scripture, which the exactly. Jeremiah 17, 13 passage obviously would be... Mm -hmm. Of something from scripture and it would connect with chapter seven right. particularly right. Um, we'll talk more about that in a minute as you mentioned mm -hmm. in the bible skill uh, we're encouraged to look at 
John chapter one, verses four through five in the uh, here in chapter eight, verse 12, and then nine, five, and how light is used. Um, we're also encouraged to look outside of John's writing, Matthew five, Philippians two, and second Corinthians four, to think more about Jesus as the light. Um, we see him using this phrase here. It's a common theme in John's gospel. Uh, let's explore that some, this idea of Jesus being the light. And, and I would even go back to the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, light is a sign of God's revelation, God's presence from, from the burning bush that Moses encountered to the pillar of fire that the Israelites followed in the desert. The presence of light is um, so often equated with the presence of God. In, in the Old Testament, uh, you can, you know, I can think of it, several verses. Um, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Or Psalm 119, the word of the Lord is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. And not surprisingly, light was associated with the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. And Isaiah 9, 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of, of darkness uh, and, and other places as well in Isaiah so Jesus' claim to be the light of the world in chapter 8 was a claim uh, that he was the presence of God right there in their midst. And as you pointed out, uh, John's gospel speaks to this. It speaks about light more than any other New Testament book. John, John focuses on this from, from the first verses of, of the book, chapter one, verse four, uh, four, and him was life and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. The darkness didn't overcome it. Uh, or there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light that all might believe, but he was not the light. He just came to testify about the light. Or uh, chapter three, verse 19, the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. And then here in chapter eight, and this, this is not all of them, I'm just mentioning two or three, but here in chapter eight, where Jesus said, made that claim, I'm the light of the world. And uh, the backdrop to, to that is this, um, goes by different names, fe the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Festival of Shelters, of Booths, it goes by all those names, a week-long festival. And, and during this festival, every night, except for on the Sabbath, but each night of the Festival of Shelters, these very large candelabras were in the temple's court of women were lit. Um, and that's where Jesus was when he spoke these words, according to John 8, 20, he was in the court of women. And that's where these candelabra were lit each night. Um, by the way, that's, that's where Jesus was sitting when he saw the poor widow come and drop her little her two, 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 two coins mm -hmm. um, into the treasury box. That's okay. Same, same spot in the temple. That's where this took place. So they lit each night, they lit these very large candelabra. And it's said that the light from these lamps could be seen all through Jerusalem. In fact, there's a tradition that says that women on the outskirts of Jerusalem could thread a needle by the light of these candelabra. That's, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what tradition says. And so lighting, lighting these lamps, this, this act um, was symbolic of God's presence when he led their ancestors through the wilderness with the pillar of fire. Now the pillar of fire, that was for the children of Israel as they wandered to the wilderness. Jesus made a greater claim. He said, I'm the light of the world. He didn't come just for the Jews. He came to be the light of the world. 
And uh, this echoes, again, it echoes uh, something you find in the Old Testament, uh, in Isaiah 49.6. Uh, it says, it's not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This echoes that. Um, and, and this, incidentally, the only way that we can benefit from Jesus being the light of the world uh, the benefit from his light is to follow him. That's how we benefit from that. He says in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 12, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Anyone who follows me, picking up there on the theme of the wilderness wanderings, the pillar of fire didn't stand still, it moved. It says it went in Exodus 13, 21, the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to lead them during the day in the pillar of fire to give them light at night so they could travel day or night. The, the festival of shelters or booths or the other titles you shared, it was a remembrance of the wanderings yeah. of, uh, in the desert. Isn't that correct? Right, it, it was. And so this pillar of fire, it, it didn't stand still, it moved. And so if they were to have the benefits of that light, it meant they had to follow it. And Jesus is to be if we can make that connection here, Jesus has to be followed. If we are to benefit from his light, it means we, we do more than give lip service or an intellectual, you know, ascent or intellectual agreement. It means we actually have to follow him if we're going to benefit from, from his light. You know, I haven't shared this much or talked much about it in the previous podcast, but in the introduction to Gospel of John, we noted that the uh, John's writing here is some of the simplest Greek you're going to find in the New Testament, but yet it's some of the most rich and complex concepts, the symbolism that's included in his gospel, the way he connects things, the way things are interwoven to each other, um, the settings, all those kinds of things. It, it just makes it so rich, and it reminds me that something doesn't have to be worded complexly to be complex and deep and rich at that point. And so many times I think we find ourselves, oh, that's, that's really good because it, it was worded in a way we didn't understand it. But I think John has a secret here. If you really want to know rich and deep, you word it in a way where somebody can understand it and then they still understand how thick that is. Uh, and we see that here. One of the things we see in this passage in chapter eight, it, it connects to chapter seven. Mm -hmm. Chapter seven we looked at last week um, where you have the living water. Um, so Mike, help us think about how these two chapters, chapter seven and chapter eight are connected here. Both, both happen during this week-long festival of booths, shelters. Um, both, in both chapters, uh, you find Jesus making a very important claim. Chapter seven, verse 37 it says, on the last day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the one who believes in me, as the scripture says, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Then chapter eight, and the context is still the same as that week-long festival. There, Jesus makes an, a, another claim. I'm a light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There are a couple of things that happened during that festival 
already mentioned, I've already referred to one of them, the lighting of the candelabra. Another thing that happened during that festival is there's something called a water ceremony. This is uh, explained a little bit in the understand the context section of the uh, PSG and uh, in the daily discipleship guide. But uh, one part of this festival occurred every day when the high priest walked from the Temple Mount down to the, the pool of uh, Siloam and he filled this golden pitcher with water, um, goes back to the temple, he pours the water on the altar and the crowds recite from Isaiah 12, three, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So the, the water there sim was symbolic of um, God's presence, God's provision. It was a cause for rejoicing. And that formed the backdrop of what Jesus said when he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And then I mentioned the other, the other thing that happened during that week was the lighting of the candelabra, as we already said, signified God's presence among his people in the pillar of cloud um, by day and the pillar of fire by night. And that was the backdrop for Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. So what connects those two things, the water ceremony and the lighting of the candelabra, is not only that they both happened during that same week-long festival on a daily basis, but they both celebrate God's grace, God's provision for his people. And they both point to how God meets our deepest needs in the person of Christ. So I, I think that's, that's the connection that we see between those two chapters. So they both point to really the summary statement for this particular lesson, which is on the first page of the personal study guide and daily discipleship guide. It's right under the title. And what it says is that Jesus offers grace and forgiveness to all who repent and believe in him. And that's really what last week's lesson and this week's lesson are getting to is about God's grace and God's forgiveness. One of the activities in the group plans, both in the leader guide and in the daily discipleship guide, is we're encouraged to take index cards, distribute them to everybody. And on one side, they write unrighteous. And on the other side, they write righteous. And then we use those cards during the group time, uh, particularly when we're looking at John 8, 3 through 6. We ask them to signify the answer, you know, is this, are these actions righteous or unrighteous? And they can hold up those cards. Uh, you may want to do cards. You could do a red card and a green card or a red card and a white card. Uh, you could do one for unrighteous and one for righteous. Uh, if those folks out there are ever familiar with, with some of the things done for preschoolers, some, some use green choices and red choices with red choices being the stop think about it and the green choices being good that was really good you could be roman if you wanted to and do thumbs up or thumbs down <laughs> as you walk through this uh, there's something in, um, in when you're looking at john 8 7 through 11 too that deals with using those cards and then the final thing the summarizing challenge uh, we are encouraged to lead our group to write a short description of their unrighteousness on one side and of their righteousness in Jesus on the other side. And obviously the summary statement would be a starting place for that summary statement or for that, that for us to write about our righteousness found in Christ. And you will want to assure folks that you're not going to ask them to share their descriptions, but encourage them to consider how their lives before Jesus and their lives since trusting Jesus are different how their unrighteousness is covered 
uh, by the blood of Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection, and their righteousness comes as a result of it. So it gives us a way to then talk about salvation. And there have been several opportunities during this quarter for us to talk about salvation, about what it means to us and how our lives are different, could be different, should be different because of what Christ has done in our lives. Mike, you got any other key insights or ideas from John chapter eight? Connected to that, um, Jesus showed grace to this woman caught in adultery. He said, I, I, I don't condemn you, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, now go and do not sin anymore. And I think it's important that we see the order in that. He, he, he showed her grace, and then he told her to go and start living right. And we, we've got to get the order right there. It's not that we obey God to earn his grace and forgiveness, but his grace motivates our obedience. When we truly understand God's grace, we, we, we don't sin anymore. We, we, we don't want to continue to sin. When we truly understand grace, we want to go out and, and do, as he said, to, to not sin anymore. And I think when Jesus said, now go sin no more, Jesus knew that she wasn't going to go live a sinless life. No one can do that. But he knew that this experience on that day would transform her life forever, that she would be able to look back at that encounter at that time with Jesus and say, that's the moment, that's the time, that's the day that the old things passed away and all things became new. And that's the kind of life change we want to see in the lives of people who are in our Bible study group on Sunday. We want to see that kind of change in them as well. Mike, thank you for sharing that, reminding us of that important idea of us wanting to see the change take place in people's lives. Before we go, let me remind you about Extra. In Extra, we identify a current news event and describe a way of using that news story to introduce and conclude the group time. The file is free, and you can find these ideas on the Explore the Bible website by typing the following in your web browser. Go explorethebible.com forward slash leader extras. That's go explorethebible.com forward slash leader extras. Thank you for listening to us this week. We hope you tune in next week as we look at session 11. Bob Bunn will be with me once again. We'll be looking at John chapter 9 and be focusing on the idea that Jesus reveals truth to those who seek him.